Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Price hikes not letting up. Another inflation indicator flashing red. Food and energy seeing significant gains. The president's releasing more oil from the country's strategic reserve. What are the risks and will it actually bring down gas prices? Businesses short on staff face a big challenge. U.S. workers failing drug tests at the highest rate in 20 years. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Another day, another dire inflation reading. The thing the Fed uses to measure inflation, core PCE, just hit a 40-year high, 40 years. It's up 5.4% over the past 12 months. That's three times higher than the Fed's target. Core PCE doesn't include food and energy, but if you add them in, inflation is significantly higher. That means food and gas prices, basic essentials, are rising even faster than other things. The Fed initially dismissed inflation as a short-term problem caused by supply chain issues, but since then, it shifted to damage control, raising interest rates modestly after a long stretch of ultra-easy money policies. Markets expect the Fed to continue to raise rates at each of the remaining six meetings this year. And today, denting hopes of some gas price relief, OPEC+, Plus, which includes Russia, said today it's sticking to its existing production plans, not going to ramp it up any faster. But President Biden has a new plan, which includes releasing more oil from the country's strategic reserve. The White House is also coordinating with other countries who will also release their reserves. Here's the president today. Today, I'm authorizing the release of one million barrels per day for the next six months, over 180 million barrels for the strategic, from, the, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This is a wartime bridge to increase oil supply until production ramps up later this year. And it is by far the largest release of our, net, of our national reserve in our history. This is the third time the Biden administration has tapped into the Strategic Petroli- Petrol- Petroleum Reserve, or SPR, in the past six months. The U.S. consumes about 20 million barrels a day, so the total release is about nine days of that. In response to the news, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin said while the move could provide a temporary relief, it's not a long-term solution. He says the U.S. needs to have a plan to increase domestic production. Biden today announced some steps to put pressure on oil companies to increase supply. Congress should make companies pay fees on wells on federal leases they haven't used in years and acres of public land they're hoarding without production. Joining us live from Houston, Texas is energy veteran Tom McNulty, president of TJ McNulty and Company. Tom, great to see you. The president wants to tax wells that haven't been used in years. How will that impact production? Great to see you as always. Um, you know, I, it, it's not likely to, to work. Uh, the way the leasing system operates, it's, it's kind of complicated, but Oil companies will let them expire, trade the leases away, sell leases back to the federal government. That's not um, it's not the most efficient way to to spur production, in my view. The president says there are 9000 unused permits and oil companies are reducing production to intentionally keep prices high. Is that what you're seeing? 
No, uh, the number is about right. The EIA, it's very public data. It's over 9,000. That, that's technically correct. Production is increasing uh, in, in the United States. It has been increasing. We've talked about this a couple of times. The completion numbers are going up. The recount is going up. I don't actually know of any producers in, in my universe that are, 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 are lowering production. It may be a question of how fast and the velocity, but there are other reasons for the constraints, such as infrastructure. Because it would, it would be a significant collusion if all of the independent and bigger oil producers, everyone was colluding to not produce at the same time to just keep prices high, right? Yeah, I, I don't know how that would be mechanically even possible. Uh, remember, it is a commodity market, a global commodity market. Most, if not all, producers are what you, we would call a price taker. When oil is 30, 32, 35, that's what they sell it for. I just, I just don't see that. And and then there's there's too much scrutiny and risk. Our country has, you know, a, a laws, Department of Justice. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that, in my opinion you could actually get away with uh, particularly easily. It's just not realistic. The president says there is nothing standing in the way of domestic oil production. I assume he means the government is not standing in the way. Uh, you feel that's the case? It's a mixture of factors. It's not entirely true. There are shortages in the oil patch and steel, labor, manpower shortages. Uh, there may even, in some cases, be some shortages around the frac sand, the prop that's used for hydraulic fracturing. But keep in mind, when you produce oil and gas, you have to move it to market through pipelines, gathering systems and pipelines. And there have been a lot of permits that have been held up or blocked, litigation, the blocking of, of a variety of pipelines, for example, moving natural gas into the Northeast. So that is an obstacle because you don't produce if you can't move oil and gas to where it needs to go. So it's a, there are market factors and regulatory factors. On the strategic, the, the release from the strategic reserve, number one, will it have any impact on prices? And number two, is there a national security risk here? Yeah, it's tricky. That, uh, the SPR was created for geopolitical national security reasons, as most people know for price shocks caused by things like wars. Theoretically, uh, what's happening in Ukraine and Europe is, is the type of thing you would have it for, but it's very tactical. You know, it can't last for that long. Uh, what we've heard today is about a six month plan. A million barrels a day is a meaningful number, but the refinery complex has to be able to absorb it and turn it into gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. I don't know how fast they can absorb the million barrels, how quickly. I think it'll have a bit of an impact. I mean, oil traded down today, but if you look at the gasoline contract, it traded down as well, but by less. My guess is it'll be measured in, I'm thinking cents, you know, rather than dollars if there is relief. It's kind of a custom, Tom, when we have you here, we ask where do you see gas prices are gonna go over the next eight to 12 months? Gasoline prices at the pump, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think, we're, you know, the averages are in, in the fours now, but in some states they're much higher. So it's, it's a tricky number. It's averaged over many, many, many uh, different markets in different states. I, I'd expect there to be perhaps a little bit of relief, a little bit of trading down in the near term, but I don't, I don't expect to see the regular, which is called the RBOB or RBOB contract to trade below four uh, for a while. 
Incredible. Tom McNulty, TJ McNulty and co. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. And drivers are not the only ones hurt by high oil prices. Farmers who use a lot of diesel fuel, they're also feeling the pinch. What does that mean for food prices? Diddy's Colin Fredrickson has more. Until February, diesel had been under $4 a gallon for almost eight years, but that trend has now been broken. Prices have almost doubled and increased to nearly $5 a gallon for diesel. That has definitely made an impact on our operation. Ryan Goodman is a cattle farmer who uses diesel to deliver hay and inspect his cows. You know, if diesel fuel and, and gasoline fuel prices remain high for an extended amount of time, it could have an incremental increase on food prices. The latest data shows diesel prices rising steadily from the beginning of the year and then surging after the conflict started in Ukraine. While gasoline is generally used for cars, diesel fuel is generally used for more industrial vehicles, such as those used in farming. Many different farmers that are raising crops and, and are out in the fields and uh, these higher fuel prices are impacting everyone. You know, for a lot of them, it's the start of the growing season and they're getting ready to start planting. Bob Bilbrook is the CEO of Capture, a business consultancy. Bilbrook's family once owned a fueling company and he's surprised diesel costs are rising like this. Diesel fuel is heavier and less volatile than gasoline, which makes it simpler to refine from crude oil, which is usually why the refinery has less labor and other costs involved. Diesel is more efficient than gasoline because it has more power in every gallon. However, diesel-powered vehicles tend to cost more. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And Vladimir Putin today signed a decree that all, quote, unfriendly countries pay for Russian energy in rubles, not euros or dollars. That's despite Europe claiming this morning that Russia was backing off. Putin told buyers to open ruble accounts in Russian banks because if you don't comply by Friday, your existing contracts will be terminated. Remember, 40% of Europe's gas supply comes from Russia, so Russia has some leverage here. Putin says he's not running a charity and claims euro and dollar payments could be frozen under the traditional payment setup. Europe has insisted it will not pay in rubles, but the ruble had a good day today against the dollar, fell to historic lows after the invasion, but has since recovered. So joining us to discuss is Christopher Vecchio. He's a senior strategist with IG Group's Daily FX. Chris, great to see you. Good to see you, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Chris, is there a connection between Putin demanding to be paid for energy in rubles and the ruble strengthening? I do think that there's a little bit there. Putin has sent forward a decree in order uh, that will force foreigners to pay for uh, the oil imports, not necessarily in rubles, but at least the banks that take those payments will then have to convert them to rubles right away. So that artificially helps prop up demand. But I think there's a bigger story going on here. The way that oil markets are reacting recently, the way that even commodity agriculture markets are reacting, if you look at wheat prices, there seems to be this sense that a ceasefire is closer than what the headlines are suggesting. The ruble taking back a significant portion of its value almost is beginning to price in that the sanctions could come to an end. We've heard from the European Union, from the UK, that should the war end, should this invasion of Ukraine end, then the sanctions would be lifted rather quickly. So I do think that there is a market vote here uh, suggesting that perhaps uh, some better days may be ahead for both the Russian economy, for the Ukrainian people, and for the global financial system. Is there some way Russia is artificially keeping it propped up? I've heard about capital controls. Uh, 
Yes, that's part of it. After the sanctions were put into place at the end of February, the Russian central bank moved forward with effectively doubling their main interest rate, up to 20%. There are also limitations on how many rubles uh, various customers can withdraw from banks, and foreigners are prohibited from selling their assets that are uh, held in Russia. So uh, this has the effect of stemming flows outside of the country, prevents people from selling their ruble-denominated assets and converting them into euros or U.S. dollars, um, and as a result, that insulates the ruble ever so slightly from what has been a, a very negative impact, broadly speaking, from the sanctions. A couple of points on that. How long can Russia stay with 20 percent interest rates? Well, it, it needs to, because inflation is running so high there. Um, the official measures aren't necessarily to be trusted right now because we're in such a unique situation. But even the week-over-week -week inflation gauges coming out of Russia show, you know, one and a half, two percent week-over-week inflation. That's very high. You're talking about easily over 50 percent per year in terms of inflation. Were this to be sustained uh, for a considerable period of time. So uh, Russia needs to do this. They need to give their, their domestic consumer base, their domestic business base, a reason to keep their rubles in rubles as opposed to trying to convert them to other currencies. Um, and so it is a necessary measure to help try to stem some of this inflation. What happens when Russia loosens up those restrictions a little, allows people to convert more of the rubles? I do think that's part of the reason why we can't necessarily say that the Russian ruble crisis is over yet, because as soon as the sanctions are lifted, you are probably going to see a, a large contingent of the population move to diversify their own personal financial holdings. That means converting the rubles into euros, into U.S. dollars, perhaps even buying gold. I think that you'll have a lot of individuals also looking into the crypto space. That way they can easily move their funds uh, abroad if necessary, should they decide to leave the country. Chris Vecchio. IG Group's Daily FX. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And American consumers are holding steady in their spending. That's mostly because things are more expensive now. Spending rose just 0.2% from the month before, but if you adjust it for inflation, spending actually fell. Consumer spending accounts for over two-thirds of the U.S. economy, so it's important. Meanwhile, businesses are still short on workers, and they're holding on to what they have. We aren't seeing many layoffs. Unemployment benefit claims rose 14,000 last week, coming in at 202,000. But that's still well below the pre-pandemic average. We get another look at the health of the jobs market tomorrow when the Labor Department releases its monthly jobs report. And so with so many jobs available, getting hired is supposed to be easy. But not if you start by failing the drug test. A new study shows positive drug tests among U.S. workers are at their highest levels in decades. Anthony's Phil Zoe has the story. Positive rates for marijuana went up 9% from 2020 to 2021, and positive drug tests overall are at a 20-year high. Two out of three American adults struggle with loneliness. It's really, it's the fastest growing epidemic on our planet. I spoke with human connections expert Uni Turretini. She says the CCP virus pandemic only made things worse. So there's a lot of uh, disconnection, there's a lot of distrust, and distrust fuels uh, loneliness, which again fuels addiction. Ira Wolf runs a recruitment firm that helps hundreds of companies hire new workers. I'm not sure we would be talking about it if there weren't labor shortages. Wolf says every time we are short on workers, employers lower the bar and lower the screening requirements. Each time we've already lost two, in, two of our big clients because they've said, we just can't afford to test anybody. We're going to 
essentially hire warm bodies and people who can fog a mirror. Wolf says many companies still have zero tolerance for drug use, but it's getting hard because drugs like marijuana have been legalized in up to 18 states now. And I think it's always better and more satisfying for each one of us to have connection with other people than with substances. Positive rates for cocaine use also went up by 5% from 2020 to 2021. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. And on Wall Street today, stocks closed out the first quarter on a down note with its biggest quarterly decline in two years. Investors may be still worried about the continuing war in Ukraine or inflation. For the day, the Dow fell 550 points, 1 in 6 tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 lost 72 points, also 1 in 6 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost 222 points, 1 and a half a percent today. For the first time since 2020, activity in both the Chinese manufacturing and services sector shrank together. China still facing high numbers of virus cases and tough restrictions. Official stats show manufacturing fell 0.7 percentage points in February and the non-manufacturing PMI dropped into contraction too. The last time we saw both indexes simultaneously below the 50 mark, which separates contraction from growth, was in February 2020. At that time, authorities were racing to tame the spread of COVID-19 in Wuhan. Was Wuhan then and it's Shanghai now? The city is entering the second phase of its lockdown. They'll lock down the western part of the city, which is around 16 million residents. So the locals holding up under the strict measures. Anthony's Don Ma has more. This is the most severe lockdown in China since 2020. Empty streets, roads and freeways are reminiscent of when the city of Wuhan went into lockdown. Similar things are happening again in Shanghai. Residents emptied shelves and hoarded groceries ahead of the lockdown. Long lines formed at some supermarkets in the Puxi area. And those who didn't stock up are suffering. An international student currently stuck at home says he's running low on food. Let's take a look at my supplies. I still have some, some cereals left. Uh, not much, but some fruits. I only have this lemon. Um, I have some flour, uh, but um, unfortunately the milk is expired so I can't make pancakes, uh, maybe with water. So my supplies are extremely scarce. Like I feed mostly on things that have been left by my roommates, previous roommates who moved out and they forgot to throw away like some, you know, leftover pasta like that was left in a bag or some um, old instant noodles, those kind of things. There are very few people out and about in the city of 26 million, as most are trapped in their homes. And you are like in a cage. I just woke up and my compound was surrounded with the fence, and that's it. There was no announcement, um, there was no warning, no information, nothing. By Wednesday, the third day of the lockdown, some 9 million people had to undergo mandatory virus testing. When they do the PCR test, they just like hit your door and yell something in Chinese, which I don't even understand. Like once they did it at 1 a.m. in the morning, so I got really scared like at night. Uh. The lockdown is in two phases to limit disruptions, but still many businesses were shuttered. Volkswagen said Thursday will halt work at its factory between April 1st and 5th. Tesla will also reportedly continue to suspend factory operations. 
Locking down a major city like Shanghai full-scale would result in a 4% reduction in China's GDP, or a loss of over $700 billion, according to some economists at several Chinese universities. Don Ma, NTD News. And a bill headed to the Senate could allow you to save more money towards retirement and start withdrawing it later. Formula One adding another U.S. city to the calendar next year for a third race scheduled on American soil. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. A retirement savings bill is heading to the Senate after passing the House this week. Could allow workers to save more and delay withdrawing money until later. Anthony Shaw Marshall reports. The House of Representatives has passed a bill that aims to improve the retirement savings system for U.S. workers. The SECURE Act 2.0 expands on the first SECURE Act passed in 2019. Currently, people who save money in 401k and retirement accounts must begin withdrawing money and paying any taxes due on it when they turn 72. The bill would raise the age to 73 this year, 74 in 2030, and 75 in 2033. Bruce Hyde is a wealth advisor at Roundtable Wealth Management. He thought this was one of the best parts of the bill for older people. The bill would also allow people nearing retirement to contribute more. For older participants, age 62 to 64, it's going to go as high as an additional $10,000 you can contribute to these plans uh, once it gets phased in over time. So your ability to, if you haven't done it already, uh, and you're later in life, you can actually start to build those balances up uh, and, and catch up, if you will. I asked him how this bill could help younger generations. There's automatic enrollment for the employees, which is, again, a great way for people to save, uh, especially for people who... You know, for one reason or another, maybe they're lazy or whatever, they just don't end up enrolling. This is a great way to, to help people and, and almost force people to, to save for the retirement. Student loan borrowers would also benefit from this bill by letting employers contribute to workers' retirement accounts when those employees make student loan payments. A company could match the amount a worker puts toward their student loan debt and donate that to their 401k. $100 towards the debt would equal $100 from the company. The bill also allows companies to offer employees a small cash bonus or gift card for signing up, just an extra incentive to get people more focused on saving for retirement. The bill now heads to the Senate. More possible action in April. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And a businesswoman in Hawaii is suing the Biden administration for hurting her business by banning swimming with spinner dolphins. The woman's lawyer argues swimming with dolphins is essential to the livelihoods of many Hawaiians and contributes a lot to the state's economy, which relies on tourism. According to the lawyers, a low-level federal official in the National Marine Fisheries Service issued the new regulation, but they say he had no authority to make the rule. The ban says humans, vessels, or any objects cannot come within 50 yards of the dolphins, 
It says that equals to harassment under federal law because they could alter the dolphin's natural behavior. And Formula One will light up Las Vegas on Saturday night in November 2023 as the streets of the city are taken over by the fastest cars and the most famous drivers in the world. Look this iconic backdrop. and uh, There is uh, nowhere better for Vaughan to be here. It's impressive. And uh, in November 2023, the best racing on the planet will be on the street of Las Vegas under these lights. It'll be amazing. For us, this is a perfect partnership. We know the economic impact that Formula One is going to have on this community is enormous. We are anticipating 170,000 visitors to town to watch this race. They will accommodate 400,000 room nights, which is absolutely amazing. The Las Vegas Grand Prix track will see drivers roar past landmarks such as the Bellagio Fountains and Caesars Palace. The sport previously struggled to make inroads in the United States, but its popularity has been surging. This year, the U.S. will host the Miami Grand Prix in May and the United States Grand Prix in Austin in October. Popular Netflix docuseries Drive to Survive has also turbocharged interest. Next year's race marks the return of Formula One to Las Vegas, which was the site of the Caesars Palace Grand Prix in the early 1980s. And after 42 years as the top dog, a record-breaking roller coaster is set to re-break its own world record. Let's take a look. The world's longest roller coaster just got even longer. Since 1979, the beast at Cincinnati, Ohio's Kings Island Amusement Park has held the Guinness World Record for the world's longest roller coaster. I've been on this thing, let me tell you. It's no joke. The ride lasts over four minutes. It's really long. 7,359 feet long to be exact. At least that was until the park did some off-season retracking work, which the park's peeps say resulted in an extra two feet of total track length. Which means after holding onto its laurels for a lengthy 42 years straight, at a newly revised 7,361 feet long, the beast will end up breaking its own world record when it reopens in May. A proposed memorial tourist park in Maine could be the future site of the world's tallest flagpole. The 2,500-acre project called Flagpole of Freedom Park would be centered around a massive 1,461-foot pillar waving a giant American flag. That would make it a flagpole taller than the Empire State Building. The park would also feature a nine-mile-long memorial wall honoring all of America's veterans, as well as other tourist attractions. The $1 billion project still has to clear a ton of red tape, but is already in the planning phases, with a targeted completion date of July 4th, 2026, just in time for America's 250th birthday. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For Entity Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.